0: Men's mental health matters. Live life with an outback mind. Thank you so much for joining in today, episode 203 with Mr. Paul Barry. Now some of you may, have, may know of Paul. Uh, Paul's a well-known strength and conditioning coach. Got lots of skills in, in various areas, nutrition and diet and uh, human movement and so forth. Primarily he's been uh, a swimming coach, uh, I guess um, uh, that's where he's sort of made his mark, but he's also very very um, well regarded with regards to his ability to be able to understand the body, anatomy, uh, the way the body works, the way the body can function better and how that can actually affect our mental health. So we're going to talk to Paul about that today, but also uh, the impact of performance. So, you know, a lot of athletes or people in in general in in life, you know, perform, achieve, uh, you know, get results, but at the same time, uh, there's a a payoff uh, with regards to that. And we actually... uh, become uh, mentally unstable if we're uh, attached to our identity and attached to our money and all the outcomes from it sort of thing, you know. So really, really uh, important and powerful conversation to have uh, today around that because, um, yeah, although it's great to achieve things and, um, and get results, uh, we need to be able to make sure that we can stabilise ourselves so we don't sort of uh, go between the highs and the lows, um, you know, quickly, which uh, is very, very common uh, in... Um, Employment sectors, in professional sectors, in sports sectors, you know, uh, all around, uh, you know, where we're, we're pretty much attached to our identities and what uh, comes from that. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this chat today. If you do, if you wouldn't mind gratefully uh, making a donation to the Outback Mind Foundation, it'll be really. Really, really um, grateful for that, Uh, we basically are surviving on donations and anything uh, really helps us, so if you want to check out the website outbackmind.org.au, if you chip in a little bit I'd be really, uh, really, really happy and uh, it'll keep us moving along, so I appreciate it. All right, if you want to give me some some, uh, feedback on the podcast, I'd really appreciate that too. Uh, Best to email me, support at outbackmind.org.au G'day Paul. Hey Aaron, great to talk to you, mate. How are you, mate? So really, you and I have already had some pretty deep conversations, so I think it's going to be a good uh, chat today for people listening out there to obviously hear a bit about, um, you know, your journey uh, as as an individual and a man, but also, you know, performance. Obviously, you've you've coached a lot of professional uh, athletes and uh, you've also been around that performance Um, You know, spectrum your whole life, and uh, you know, I I always sort of look at the consequences of that. Sometimes there's probably a small percentage of people that uh, that still, you know, continue on after they've actually become something or someone or being attached to who they are or what their identity is, but actually come out the other side of it. You know, stable, I suppose, because a lot of us sort of go up and down like a yo-yo. And mates, um, be interested to sort of hear a bit about your journey. I know you're from New Zealand, and. You know, we've had a chat about your dad, and um, obviously, your dad was a high performer, but there was some consequences uh, that come from that.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I've and obviously, dad being the closest one to me, where I could see it literally on a daily, weekly basis, um, how driven he was. And then, uh, obviously, growing up, like around sport, it was all amateur, of course, in those days. So, I saw the big transition when I played until i actually got into it at the career and then working more way up to international level with athletes and things on like it's um it's been a really drastic change within quite a short period of time mm-hmm. and um in my view in many ways not for the better
0: yeah yeah that's true mate. tell us a bit about your dad and, and sort of obviously you had a bit of a funny relationship with him but tell us a bit about him as an individual and sort of what he uh was able to do professionally, but obviously there were some consequences that come from that.
1: Yeah, so um, it it was a very um, strange relationship Um, with a quick little bit of background in terms of me as a person. So from a young age, I was very, like, very aware of um, what I didn't know what it was then, but, like, just... um, energy and how how relationships should be, um, or how things should be in a natural way between people and relationships. So in that initial part growing up, you know, for me it was really easy to make friends, to communicate with people really openly, um, to, to see when something people were doing wasn't aligned with what they were saying and that sort of thing from quite a young age and on a part of that is that I also I can pretty much remember everything that happened in my life since I was about two or three years of age so when I was growing up at that age my recollections of dad were very he was very much a standard dad that your friends had Mm. Um, but we moved a lot and it took me a while to work on to it. Um, so we moved cities and moved countries and that sort of thing. And um, so Dad was in – well, he didn't want to be doing the job he, he, he was doing. So he, he was quite resentful about it. My grandmother, his, his mother ruled the roost, and his grandmother ruled the roost. Mm. So my, my grandmother and my great-grandmother and um, on that side of the family. Mm. So he, Dad always wanted to be a builder. He was just amazing with his hands, the things he built as we moved around. So so we moved a lot and that suited me fine. I was really comfortable with that. I'm really comfortable even today, even more so, you know, comfortable and change. It doesn't affect me at all. I love it. And um, But that was in the ANZ Bank, so Australian New Zealand Bank. So that was back in the days where... It was actually one bank in Australia and New Zealand. So it was run by one set of corporates, general managers, that sort of thing. And so, I mean, he never talked about much, so I had no idea, but he obviously had aspirations to get to the as high as he could. And that's what the moving around a lot. So I think we moved about approximately 10 or 12 times um, before I left home. Um, And to sum it up quickly, he went through, you know, starting the bank, By the time i i was old enough to know what he was doing he was like an like the accountant doing giving all the loans and that sort of thing um whatever they called it in that days but i think it was called accountant Mm. but he quickly moved up to being assistant manager of branches uh, branch managers area managers um but uh i'll get back to sort of how that affected us as in the family and definitely with me um but he ended up uh as retail banking manager so in charge of all the retail banking so non-business banking retail banking for the whole country Mm. at the age of about 39. Mm. okay so um yeah i suppose just moving on from that what actually happened was that he had two heart attacks um a couple of turns and Very very soon after that, he was medically retired. So I think he was either forty or forty-one. He was medically retired by the bank, Mm. Um, and very soon after that, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, which back in those days, um, which would have been the eighties, early eighties, mid eighties, early eighties. He, um, you know, Parkinson's for someone that was like forty. 40 41 was really unheard of and it affected the rest of his life
0: Mm. and how how long did he live for mate
1: um he died in 2010 Mm. 2010 he passed away but so he had it for you know 30 years and mm. watching watching how it just progressively just took over him and created a situation where just as it went through the different stages he was still so intelligent he was always highly intelligent and like seeing him the journey of him battling it and dealing with it and trying to deal with it and not being able to deal with it very well and how it just slowly like i i I call it like an analogy like a python a huge python south american python just squeezing the life out of a have a crocodile or, or even something smaller, you know, just squeezing and squeezing and just slowly squeezing, and constricting to the point, you know, where you're losing all ability to do anything. Then you you move on to where you're using a, a cane, a walking stick, and still stumbling and then really reluctant to go into like a like um, like a like a wheelchair thing or, a, you know, a, a, like a walker, pushing a walker type thing. Mm. Um, and you're still he never like it was all internalized he never really he never talked about it but it must have been well i could see it was hell mm. <laughs> like
0: you re- it, you reckon his job led led to it like a lot of the stuff that he was doing with his job led to it and obviously he wasn't able to do what he loved he was doing something that uh, his mum and his grandmother wanted him to do
1: yeah no uh, 100% uh, you know i don't have <laughs> i don't have 0.5% that it wasn't those two factors. It, it was three factors. One, he he wasn't doing something that he loved and he was passionate about. Now, in life, I have experienced doing a job that I was very good at in the corporate world, working with judges, district court judges, high court judges in both countries, um, working being headhunted into multi you know multinational companies, corporate working overseas with them all that sort of thing. Now, I was good at it, and at the different times, at different levels and senior management and things, and then national management, I enjoyed it because I was at a very young age, um, and I was very good at everything I did in those areas, and it was great to have this flash title and a nice card and a car, flash car, and and these big salaries and things. Um, But it took, for me, I could see eventually after it sort of started ha- affecting my health that I was just following the same path as dad in terms of and I could see that with this with the sport that I played and I, re- I rep- represented like I told you in numerous sports at the young ages and um, I didn't I didn't obviously like most people can't you can't see then that you're really just trying to get your dad's love and approval because he never showed it yes. he never spoke about it. He never I, I never once got a hug in my life from my father mm. Mm. until which i'll come to <laughs> which is when i finally confronted him about everything and how i felt just before he died mm. not on his deathbed but he was about three months before he was mm. um so i don't want to jump around too much but definitely it affected me in that way um so it affected me in terms of how i Started performing. <laughs> my sister was a performer, and my younger sister was a performer too. Mm. All high performance and everything we did, all successful and everything we did. So whether it was not so much in relationships, but definitely in, in sport, in academic, um, that type of thing, um, we all thrived. But you know, I, I my eyes open to what it was, and um, so I jumped ship and I went to a career in terms of, well, I don't even call it a career, doing what I loved, Mm. which is my passion, which is like uh, sport, athletes, performance, performance in a different way. Um, And all the holistic aspects around that and the qualifications I got holistically so that I could work with a person across all areas. Mm. Um, And so, Well, it's got an aspect of performance that we've talked about before, which we can talk about later. Um, Yeah, but coming back to to Dad, 100%, he was made to go against what he really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But then his natural way of thinking or his way of being, he made more than the best of that in terms of career. Like, Mm -hmm. he he obviously internalised and put all his focus into going as high as he could yeah. Um, he did leave. He did leave after about his first two years, and try to come back to do what he wanted. And his mother again said to him, "No, march them back, march them back in there." Mm. Um, the other one which you mentioned was so um, not being able to do what he really loves and passionate about, and then the secondary part of then choosing to go as high as he could in that and putting internalising and putting all his effort and energy into that. Mm. Um, Not his family. He didn't continue any of his sporting pursuits after the age of probably mid-20s. Everything was focused around socialising, which in the bank is very well known for socialising. And another thing I didn't mention to you, which is really interesting, is he was way ahead of his time in terms of... um, and I don't mean it in a good way, but I, at the ages of the seven, me seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, so that's in the um, in the 70s, he would come home and have dinner. If he was home, he'd often be away for weeks at a time um, in Auckland or over in Australia on conferences and things. So I really didn't see him growing up. So as I mentioned to you, like mum brought us up effectively. Mm. Um, and he always wasn't at his best when he came home, so uh, it's, yeah, it, he wasn't really in my life a lot, but I still saw him a lot, and then he was uh, around my life a lot, so I could observe it, and I used to just observe what he did and what he was doing, and I I just couldn't um, even at young ages work it out, I couldn't align with how someone could, could be that way, it was unhealthy. So. At those young ages, seven, eight, nine, ten, etc., he would come home when, for, from when he was working where we were, and he'd have dinner and then go back to work for three or four hours. Mm, I don't know. Which is a which became quite a popular thing in the eighties and nineties, as you know. The employer owned you, and you you know you did everything you you know at a higher level that you needed to do, mm. but not in the seventies. Mmm, mm.
0: mate, pretty amazing, like. Um uh your, your dad your dad was like, was miserable primarily and and he was just trying to uh outperform so he could get some recognition from his mother possibly you know and uh, and get her approval and um that's really sad to, to be honest and uh you know i think it's common um you know with regards to guys doing stuff that they don't want to do when they are home they're not present because they're they're so buggered and so cooked and uh, i reckon your dad when he was home he was probably the same the only way he could sort of get uh, back to feeling good again was to go back and do some work and um you know i i I sort of understand that because i've had that myself i I, i've been there with it you know I, i was working away coming home and just just totally buggered and um it's not great mate you know But if we're doing something that we really want to do, then we're not putting ourselves in that situation. You're happy at work and you're happy at home. When you're not happy at work and you're not happy at home, it makes your life pretty miserable. Um, And, you know, your dad obviously, um, you know, received the consequences consequences from that by, by having a couple of heart attacks and obviously getting Parkinson's, which was, you know, probably a nervous system thing more than anything.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, they sort of are trying to say... These days, they're trying to put into the autoimmune category, which is what the health sector is trying to do with a lot of things, saying it's autoimmune. Um, well, they're possibly they're possibly. I'm not a medical specialist, but I, I read a lot of literature as part of my job over a long period of time, and um, it's it's a, to me it's it's not in the genes. It's a nervous system mm, for sure. Yeah. Now. You know when you're doing that much that much time that many years even though you're being very very successful it's it's not going to be giving you back what it is that you're really needing that you're really really seeking um there's 100 percent the same he would have been trying to um you know get his mother's uh recognition and and love and it never came mm. um so his dad um i mean i know for myself that she was a tough lady um she loved me she never told me but i knew that she loved me um because what happened was because dad was away so much i mean mum needed to have a break so in the school holidays from a young age so my younger sister was five years younger than me so we're talking here from the age so it's just my sister who's 18 months older than me and myself From the age where I was like five, so she would have been six and a half or whatever, but from the age of five through to about 14, we both, she went, we either went by plane or uh, rail car or train uh, or by bus and separately. So from the age of five, I would travel to my grandparents' place every holidays Mm. and so my second home was my grandparents' place, my dad's parents. Mm. My young, my older sister would go to my my mother's parents, mm. and so I I grew up. My mentor, rather than being probably as it should be, and if you're a father figure that's open and awakened and aware, you you want to be with your kids and you want to teach show them life and and what well what I did with my children was. Allow, allow them I talked with them a lot a lot, but more I showed just by them observing how I was In relationships with other people how I was with them how I interacted with them. So That's a whole other story in terms of uh, The time it took me when I was married to well, I'll just briefly touch on it which My my wife was really good because she didn't want to be a mother, but I uh, Like, it took me four years of contemplating. I wanted to be a father, but I wanted to contemplate that it was breaking the cycle Mm. and that I was doing it 100% for the reasons that I wanted to, that I was choosing it, that um, I knew I could offer uh, the fullness of who I was to my children. And through, through what I said so my my, my actions and my thoughts um, What I did and what I did and what I said, so that's another story, but um, it, an important one um, But yeah, you no know, Instead of my father being there like a father figure and then call it a mentor It was my granddad who was my primary mentor in my whole life mm. through him His actions and his love for himself and for his his wife and for everybody in the community, like as an example, even he was in his eighties, he was still going to old people's homes and playing the piano for them and having a sing song. Mm. He was still he was still going. I'm talking about like apart from that, like for twenty or thirty people on a weekly basis, he would ring them up and get their scripts and take them to the chemist and take them back this is in his 80s mm. and he would ring them up and get their shopping list go and do the shopping for them, and then deliver their shopping to them their groceries and everything mm. like unbelievable he talked to me about everything i learned about that i then went on to sort of master in terms of taking to another level was was from him like how to, you know, how to relate to people, how to have positive relationships that it, where, you, where you're actually, you're giving more than you're ever looking, you're not looking to receive anything, you're just, you're giving about um, just being in life, just being what we call these days people talk about like mindsets and authentic and all these sorts of things. He was just naturally that. So between talking with him, i could talk to him about anything. But a lot of it was just observation and how he treated me. Mm. It was just, I was just so special. And it like, it was amazing. Uh, Because it was completely the opposite end of the spectrum or the continuum. Like, if you want to call it, like he he was a mentor of life and love. And my dad, I'm sure he loved me, but he never showed it. He never spoke to me, never physically gave me, he never put his hand on my shoulder. Everything everything I did wasn't good enough. He would tell me straight out. Um, as we were chatting about one day, like, you had a similar situation. Like, with Dad, of course, I was a young fella. Young I wanted just to help him when he was out doing things he's doing some stuff with the car in the days where you did your own oil filters and your own spark plug gaps and those sorts of things and he's building things at new places we were at i would go to try and help out and that it seemed to be okay until i made the first mistake i handed him the wrong present or i um, asked too many questions because i was trying to i not only wanted to be with him but i like learning stuff and i still do i love i love learning things about subjects i'm passionate about. And so I just wanted to be with him, and he, he just told me to fuck off if mm-hmm. I made a mistake, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Fuck off. Go play with your friends. You're better at that. Mm-hmm. Get away from me, you know. Yeah. Now, when you're sort of six or eight or ten, they, that makes a big impact. Like, it really hurts. Um, it's
0: a blow to the heart, mate, really, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. And it can take a chunk of your soul too. Like, you, you've got to... Um, One thing that was really good for me was witnessing it and seeing it, seeing the contrast to how my granddad was and obviously spent a lot of time there because apart from the the holidays, every school holidays, so that's two or three times a year plus the Christmas holidays, like six weeks or seven weeks, we we always went up. It was, it was only like 200 k's to where my, about 200 kilometres to where my grandmother lived, where my sister went and another 35 k's to the east where my grandparents lived, Mm. my dad's parents. So we would definitely, definitely once a month, we would go out and do like a circuit and would would vary it, so we'd go to one people's place for the the Saturday lunch and spend the afternoon and then either in the evening go across to the other ones or get to have an early night and get up early and go across and spend the whole of the Sunday and leave late Sunday night from the other grandparents' place or their parents' place. Yeah. Mm. Um, And so they were really good times interacting like that because I saw, like, Dad was in a little bit of a different space compared to when he was at home, when he was in those environments, especially at his home environment. He was very well, what I would call, very well behaved. He would communicate. So I'll get to the one we've talked about before about up on the boat. I mean, that's a really extreme thing when I was in my teenage years um, with Dad, going up the, up the lakes. We used to live down by Queenstown, which was an absolutely beautiful place to grow up, to go to high school. Um, but, yeah, just before that, though, it's important to to sort of say what what was going on, the, the home dynamic. So one I've touched on, he, he was never really home. Um, and when he was, he, he was bringing back what you were talking about in terms of... He was doing amazingly well with his career. And so obviously he was driven by that. There was a bit I touched on, of course, very early in the seventies, like young, going back to work when nobody else in the world probably was. But when he came home, he was really, and if he had had a few beers on a Friday night but he was really, really angry, really aggressive. Mm. And he took that out with my mother. Not, never physically, but just abusive. He would come home, his plate was cold, as dinner, he would just grab it, swear a lot, and then just throw it against the wall and smash it. And I just mentioned to you that at a young age, um, first when I was about seven and then when I was about ten, I just laid I walked up to him after he'd done one of these events. My sisters were both there at the table and I just looked at him in the face, a few feet shorter than him, but I just looked at him and I said, Basically, don't you ever fucking talk to my mother or act in that way ever again? Mm. Otherwise, you're gonna deal with me. Mm. And from that moment, he he was he was so shocked he didn't do anything, didn't know what to say. Mm. Right? He just walked walked out and went went off somewhere in the car. Mm. But I can tell you, from that moment, I copped it. Mm. So initially. Um, Initially, verbally, he would just he would treat me like shit, like and just take everything out his frustrations and, and anger about his situation out on me. So he he was like controlling, manipulating, wouldn't let me do things I wanted to do, um, uh, aggressive, and then it just moved on to where he just he'd, he'd just throw me against walls, punch me. Um, send me to my room but follow behind me and just throw me against the wall when I landed on the ground Kick kicked me, like it was unbelievable mm. um, and then I was I wasn't allowed out of my room until we said. and sometimes that was like I missed, it might be afternoon missed dinner and it was the whole night and I wasn't allowed to get up till the morning mm. but the, I was just about to touch on earlier but the, the thing was that um, it affected me but I I I thought about it. I observed it and I contemplated contemplated it, which is where you contemplation is where you, as you know, it's like it's where you think about something and then you just don't you don't think, you just feel. Mm -hmm. So you're just feeling into it. And I could see from observing and contemplating that it was nothing about me. It was nothing that I was doing. It was all (laughs) him. And that was something that, that was a very a blessing and um i'm always grateful for the fact that that i i dealt with it in that manner and dealt with it in that way and was able to see that i wasn't at fault it, it wasn't me it was all my dad um so it was a really interesting interesting exercise to witness so um yeah so basically moving on from that Trying to, you know, in that process was understanding how could somebody that's your dad, that's meant to be like how my grandfather's treating me, yes, he's my dad, I'm sure he loves me underneath all this, but he's not showing me, he's not talking to me, he doesn't put his arm around me, he never gives me a hug, he never does anything with me, he, what he is doing with me is treating me like crap and taking everything out on me. But I asked him to. Mm. I was protecting my mother. She did not deserve to be that. She was a. She was the one that was basically the mother and father of the house, because he was away all the time with work, uh, working long hours, and I was going to stand for that. Um, and I did it without even thinking. It just, I just reacted in that way, um, protecting my mother. So, then trying to balance up. And this is why I was, you know, did this sort of contemplation and just, because I could see what was going on, but just trying to get in my mind, the mindset, like observing, seeing these things happening, but just balancing it out because it wasn't a comfortable environment to be in where I did want my dad's love and approval. I wanted to be a son that could interact with him, but he was shutting me out in every way possible, Mm. physically, emotionally, mentally. And... It had its challenges, for sure. And so that comes to the one I told you that time, which is just, like, an unbelievable example. Like, all these times, I never felt comfortable with them. Um, I didn't ever feel scared. Um, I had quite a few skills to be able to deal with myself um, in these situations. But the, the one to do with, um, we used to have a, have a boat. So Dad and I would go up fishing a lot um, up the lakes around Queenstown and um, it was about approximately 160 to 160 k say to to go there so as I mentioned he um, dad would always it was a routine so would always get the boat ready the night before so when I say dad didn't talk to me he did speak to me about instructions in an instructional way Mm. like um, you know because there you, you could have your full licence at 15. So, um, go, you know, grab the car, so we get the boat ready the night before? So things like, you got the rods, yeah, okay, um, we'll go, okay, let's get jump the car, we'll go and get some fuel now for the, you know, the fuel tanks for the boat. So we did do some things together, but there's never any talk in the car. It, and when he did speak about things, it was just instructional. Back the car, yeah, a few more inches, yeah, right, right. And then you know, I put the boat on and away we'd go early in the morning. But the whole 160 days, not a word was, effectively, we're talking about like hundreds of trips, never a word spoken. Mm. Um, We'd be on the lake the whole weekend from fishing from like, you know, dust, sorry, dawn to dusk type thing, fishing for trout. And literally nothing was ever spoken except for, you know, because i drive quite often on the boat, so, you know, yeah. okay, slow down, slow down, we'll pull over in this cove here, um, you know, we'll put this sort of small motor on and start, you know, trolling and just at six k's an hour or whatever it was and uh, put the lines out, that sort of thing. We'd have lunch and, and a beer, you know, he'd say, oh, you know, do you want a beer? Like, it, it, but it was just yes, no, it was just instructional. There was no, what I mean, there was no communication know, how's it going at school, Uh, you know, how's it going with, you know, your your girlfriend or whatever it might be, you know, um, I couldn't talk to him about his work, he never talked about his work, he never talked about anything. Mm. Uh, He only ever talked with his friends. So I know, because when we were around at friends places for barbecues or for parties or for, which was big time in in those days, in the the 80s and things, you know, so the kids would quite often go and then at a certain time we'd all off go up to rooms and go to sleep type thing. So he had a lot of friends, social friends and things. Um, and in those situations, and some of them had boats and we'd sometimes go up and we'd all meet on the same lake and that sort of stuff. We'd all individually do our fishing during the day and then we'd come together and tie the boats together in the middle of the lake. Um, and in those situations, when there's like eight of us or whatever, and kids that were in my same year at school, because his friends had just happened to have kids in my year at school. So I knew them really well. And so we, as a collective, we'd all just talk. And if I was talking to, say, a friend of his, Kevin, in a conversation, he was saying something, and then someone else would jump in. And then if dad would talk about something, and then I asked dad something about that, he would answer. Like he would, mm. in, a, in a group situation, he would he would communicate because it wasn't about anything like personal, if you know what I mean, it was just about a subject or something that was happening in, in the world at that time or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, so I saw all these different sides of him, but when we were alone, yeah, nah, he, he just couldn't communicate, mate, with mm. me. Um, and I never asked him why. Um, I certainly put it to him at the end, of it ended, you know, before he passed away, I, I needed to resolve everything around the fact that, around love, which I'll come to in a sec, so yeah, so up the lake, you know, worst case scenario, which is what I told you, and then most of the trips were the same, apart from if his friends were there, just talking about the fact of him talking with me, we would do 120, 140 k's, what it was, to the lake. I would drive home because I'd always a few. He'd have a few beers with his friends, or if they weren't there, just have a few beers. I'd always drive home, and the boys with the other, the you other know, from my year, they all did the same. We always drove home. Um, Dad and I could, on most trips, we'd be lucky if we said ten lines. The trip up, the trip back, two whole days on the lake, ten lines of no relationship talk, but just not instructional, but like, oh, you know, like things like. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Or that—that that was, a, you know, we, those those fish we caught were really, you know, beautiful spe, you know, beautiful specimens. Or mm. you know, whatever, mm. that sort of thing. Mm. Or on the way home, can you stop off at? Um, like he had obviously many many clients, you know, and like so one was like a Willie Willie Watson, and um, yeah, just stop at Will's place, which is about thirty k to go home. Stop off there, and I'll drop off the fish for him to smoke in a smokehouse for us. Mm. So it was just. It was just, it's still instructional, but it was communicating. Mm.
0: Yep.
1: Now those times when I had dad myself, it was like, um, really, even though I had all the background of how things had been and how he treated me and stuff, it was still a really strange feeling, like really weird, like an uncomfortable, uncomfortable, or comfortable, in the uncomfortable as be more accurate mm. it became the norm i accepted that that's how it was going to be but there's always that little glimmer of hope maybe on the next trip or maybe in 10ks he might start just suddenly talking mm. do you know what i mean
0: mm, i do mm, amazing mate tell me geez I'm, I'm sure people listening to this, you know, some, some may not re- relate, but some will, you know, because it's probably happened to them. Do you know, the, 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 the intergenerational trauma, uh, this is where I'm proud of you because you've broken the cycle, but uh, the intergenerational trauma that come from grandma into, you know, into your grandma or, you know, his grandma into yours and then into him, and you've broken that mate there, there's some significant stuff that would have gone on way back when you know um and that's been passed down through the lines and your dad never felt he was good enough i reckon because uh, of what his mum did to him you know but you know full credit to you that you've been able to recognize uh the issue and be able to have have compassion with the issue uh or for the issue um now, if your grandfather hadn't come along you would probably be angry and we wouldn't be having this conversation today
1: yeah no i mean everything flows through in life you know everything flows through for reasons um uh, you know i've got no doubt about that in terms of how things connect and interconnect and that sort of thing my life could have gone on in a very different direction um i was fortunate i had not definitely, you know, obviously having my grandfather to be a real influence and mentor, um, which showed me that there was a completely different side. Um, and I was naturally, and we all are naturally, because we just have to think, we are all like that because you look at any baby's eyes and all you see is love. Yeah, People may not always recognise that and most probably don't recognise that. But that's why people look at a new baby and pretty much go, ugh, you know? Mm. Because what you're looking at is being reflected back to you as love. Just complete love.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, through life, things which can be through, you know, uh, family, through friends or their parents or through schooling, we all know these things. We are Changed. changed and manipulated into... Ways of rules and regulations, and this is how you have to think, and this is how you have to do, and this is how you learn a subject, and you need to learn exactly how we tell you, and you do it as per the science book. Mm. Everything in life is trying to, uh, well, majority of things in life are trying to, you know, um, program you, program us from like everything, from like you've got to save, yeah, you've got it, like banking, you got you save your money, you got for a rainy day type. There's We could sit here and talk for like three days and just keep giving examples of how the world is set up to um, manipulate, program, um, assimilate you into a way of being that's not you. Um, And I went through these same systems like most of us did. Mm. Um, The thing I had was the initial, one of the things I talked about was from a young age, I was very aware of something, um, which it wasn't until later on I sort of could work out, was I was very aware of who I was and what how things should be. And um, so what I did was, whether it was with my uncle, who I never talked to since, or he's never talked to me since, uh, like at the age of seven my dad's sister was over from england she lived there she's been in england since she left school with her boyfriend and i've uh, been there over 60 years or whatever it is now um but it was the first time i was going to meet my cousins so they came over for christmas and my uncle my dad's youngest brother always wanted to be you know the father of christmas even when they went there but to me there was a lot of more of us there and it was um he would control when he would give out the presents. Now, as we all know, like kids, they're up at first crack of dawn and, or before, and they want to, you know, presents are big time to them when they're five and six and eight and that sort of thing, seven. So, on this one here, like, yeah, my cousin's here for the first time. We're all seven, around the age seven, six. And um, well, obviously, all the family and everything. And here's Greg, nine o'clock, ten o'clock lunch okay and he's not wanting he's not he's not giving out the presents now us kids were pretty well behaved so we were you know no one was really saying much and that actually it was before before lunch because um that was we're going to have lunch and we had it outside with umbrellas and nice sunny day and you know all that sort of thing and um I, so people were starting to move out you know, putting dishes out there and starting to move out there and taking their drinks out there and that sort of thing. But I, I, I saw him there by himself. Uh, so I'm seven years of age, just turned seven, and I I just went over to him and I said, I said, Greg, well, I said Uncle Greg probably, you know, Uncle Greg, I know what you're doing and I don't like it and it's not fair and it's not reasonable, you know, and he just it. What's the problem? You know, Luke and Sam and Mary and that, for the first time they're over here, first time I met my cousins, and you want to be Father Christmas and you're not bloody being it. Mm. He told me, kids your age should just shut up and not be heard, piss off. Mm. And we never talked again. But mm. that calling out, I started out on my very first day of school. And so whether it was a teacher, if, if I saw something wasn't, well, I should say, I suppose, it's uh, been on astrology, how, what you think about it, but I'm, I'm a Libran. <laughs> Librans, I very much am a Libran. So with the scales. So it's about justice and fairness and balance. And that's a place quite, quite big in your life. And so when I could see that someone else was not being treated fairly, like my mother, for example, Or someone at school, or a friend by their parents, I didn't think for a second if something wasn't fair or just or deserving of, you know, I would just call it out. Mm. So if if what people's, you know, and I'm saying here like my uncle, teachers, even, you know, parents, parents of friends, if how they were talking to their, their children or whatever, or any given situation if it wasn't meeting those criteria of being uh, you know a reasonable thing to do or being fair or just or rightful or balanced or you know equal i would just call it out mm. and so i was in trouble a lot <laughs> growing up but it didn't bother me because i was doing what i knew inside at a really deep level and, of course, at these ages, when I first started doing it, like five and seven, I didn't know I was a Libran. I didn't know what Libran traits were. <laughs> like, it was just inborn. Mm. Yeah, so I got, for a person that was intelligent that did, at, at high school, did two languages and all the rest of it in the top stream, um, Yeah. know, oh, I met in, in, in uh, primary school. I was always outside the um, getting the cane, getting the strap, Getting detention um, in year eleven, nearly got expelled. Um, Yeah, so. What
0: what did your dad think about that?
1: Well, the uh, the the, what the the general thing or nearly getting expelled.
0: About you playing up and yeah, almost
1: getting expelled. Well, I. In most of those cases, for example, I think that, that say, say for example, with friends and the way their parents suddenly just, like, dealt with them to do something that they hadn't really done or they were really overemphasising something, like, it was just out of of context and, you know, just crazy. They were too embarrassed when I called them out. Like, those sort of things never got fed back to my dad, right, luckily. Um, The school things, again, in those days, like, in the 70s, at primary school, nothing ever got nothing ever got back to my parents um now my dad wagged probably 100 days a year at high school Mm. and that was one of his ways of getting back at my grandmother so um and i wagged for two days but back to back and on the first day my dad came home for lunch so i made up a story about had the afternoon off because of the cricket team and we were going to have a practice later on and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, which wasn't true. Um, but the second day, the school rang him and said that your, your son and his one of his best mates, David Taylor, um, have been away for two days. <laughs> and on the second day, we went to our place, because David was there when Dad came home for lunch on day one. Day two... We were at his place, listening to a lot of Beatles records and playing soccer in the background. Out in the back, he was an Arsenal supporter. He was from England and playing soccer and anyway, having a good time. I think it was pretty cool to have two days off school. And then dad's car rocked up when we were in the house and we went in ahead and he was beeping his hall and he was smashing on all the doors and windows and said, come on out, I know you're in there. Anyway, he, it was like so contradictory because he just put us in the car and took us straight to school and to the principal's office and demanded that we be given, like, a week's a week's like detention of some sort that was embarrassing to us, mm. like he specified it out. Mm. So him and I were really well-known in the school. We were in all the, you know, representing the school at the top teams in cricket and soccer and that sort of thing. Um, I was head, control, head court patrol for all the courts and that sort of thing. We were known by lots of the girls and you know, guys around we were sort of high profile, but in a cool way, just being ourselves. And they made us weed the gardens that were not like at the front of the school. We were made to weed the gardens for a week in our lunch break. Gardens that were around all the big quadrangles and all where most people hung out and lunch times and things. Mm. Like yeah, he had he had probably wagged. In the five or six years, or what five years he was four years he was at high school uh, or college. He probably wagged, you know, three hundred days, and I'd mentioned to you like he was very, very, very talented athlete. So, like he could run the hundred yards in like ten seconds. Um, he represented at rugby and like played in a rep team that played in a pre the pregame before the All Blacks versus South Africa. Mm. Um, uh, and then uh, that was rugby what was the other thing I was going to say um, yeah oh yeah he was being rugby captain. so um, they, they were always in trouble because they would, they would follow my dad and he would just do if the school said to him because he went to a private boys school like you're not to go to this party that's like I said you like red rule red ragged to a bull right so of yeah. course you would go to that party with the whole
0: team
1: <laughs> yeah so they would all end up on the stage at the next um school assembly getting six of the best or 12 of the best mm. and he didn't care
0: mm. yeah. he was he was a rebel he, did, he, he, a just, rebel. Did, he just did he just did whatever he wanted he was a rebel and uh and yes. obviously um yeah he was rebellion uh, rebelling against his mother but i reckon yeah possibly and uh, right.
1: Yeah. yeah, but he James actually, the, James Dean, James Dean. You know, moving mm, for a cause.
0: Mm. But you know what happened, mate? Is he got into adult life and and just uh, probably lost his way a little bit with mates and everything, and then it all became about attachment to his status of his job and and um, his uh, his achievement and just just keeping going on that path. You know, it's such a bloody a shame and a waste of life that he um, that he you know did something for twenty years or more that he was miserable doing and then he uh, sort of obviously got sick from that you know it's just a, a crazy way to bring, bring up a boy uh, but also to live your life isn't it because why the hell would you put someone through private school and, and pay all that money and then have them come out the other side miserable uh, at, at the same time you want to try and have the individual thriving in this life where they love their life and they love what they're doing and they love themselves more importantly you know it's so hard to love yourself your old man didn't love himself you know I'm sure because um, of what he uh, what he ended up um, doing professionally and obviously with uh, the way he treated you and your family and, and that sort of thing and you know that's where we've got to start to turn a thing, turn things around now mate because we're, we're so distracted and distant. And you look at as you said like a baby um they're they're pure love and, and, and really that's what we're meant to be here living in that realm as much as possible but we're just getting programmed and distracted from that too easily and uh, and that's where we're getting out of line as humans and that's where we're having all the issues that we uh, we possibly have
1: yeah no there's 100 percent i, I mean, it's very clear that we come in as, it, this is how I see it, we come in as love and, you know, one of the big questions people ask is, you know, why are we here? Well, in my experience from observing life, being to 30 odd countries, living in other countries, living, working in three countries, um, meeting a lot of people and I I love having a chat, so I talk with people um, and I've asked a lot of questions. And I've, from what I've observed and what I've internally in myself, what I feel in terms of energy and um, it was really natural for me to, to continue that loving thing. So um, we come in as love and, to me, we're meant to, through these distractions and through these different things and systems that are in place in school and families and all those sort of things, is to come back to that love, you don't have to go and find it, it's never gone anywhere, it's, it's inside us. And it's just coming back to that love, and then from coming back to that love, no matter what's going on around you, then being able to express it, so firstly you see it in yourself, you acknowledge it, and then you express it out to the world, to everybody in everything that you do and say so in all your actions and your thoughts you just express it out but we can't express out love and say love you love you miss you love you when you aren't love yourself
0: yeah
1: so you never not love yourself but you've got to acknowledge it and accept it and it's not what a lot of people in the world are doing going on these trips and you know like yeah what do you call it like um going on there's nothing wrong with these things but it's people trying to find themselves but what they're doing is they're looking somewhere outside Mm -hmm. they're going to spend a, a a month on a ashram in india with some some guru now that's all good people want to go to japan and walk around this thing that people did thousands of years ago and push prayer things you know Good on them. Um, you know, anything that you're on a path doing something that's constructive towards trying to find who you are, and because we're all seeking love. Mm. So, it's, but there's the shortcut, because I've done some of those spiritual things, not the guru things and that, but like I've done a lot of work from when I was, we were talking about this one day, and um, I proactively started working on myself to to uh Sand down all these things to do with and deal with and finalize these things to do with um, what happened with dad and those sorts of things. So, when I left home when I was like 19, that's where I did all the sandpapering and the fine tuning. And I'd go to workshops on this and that. And um you know, we would do exercises sometimes, say, to do it like anger, but you know, hitting pillows and talking about it in a group and then hitting pillows and things. But I didn't have any anger. Um, but I would have but I had an amazing granddad yeah Mm. Um, and and with him him was mentoring and seeing him so regularly and he was just so he was consistently the same every moment of every minute of his life Mm. Um, just touch on that and I'll come back but I had to give the eulogy because my dad had Parkinson's so he couldn't travel to New Zealand from Australia, because we all live on the Gold Coast, and um, we have done for like 30 years, but um, I had to give the eulogy at my grandfather's funeral. Now, the night before, um, I was, you know, I was out with a few of my cousins and different things, and playing pool, and they were having a few drinks, like, cause I don't drink, as you know. I um, mm. haven't drunk since 2004. Um, never smoke, take drugs, never none of that sort of stuff. Um, and I thought I had this, you know, next day was going to be the funeral, and I thought I knew I didn't need, like I am now, I don't need notes to speak. I can talk for days if needed, you know, no problem. Mm. So I thought, you know, I, I didn't foresee the impact it was going to have doing his eulogy. Because you go to a lot of funerals and you see the son or the whatever get up and just all friends, best friends of the person that's passed away. And they just can talk. The other one will cry a little bit, but mate, you've never seen you've never seen amount of water and waterfalls that I put out. Mm-hmm. Um I would just bloody break down for like three or four minutes, sobbing uncontrollably after a few sentences. And then I'd get myself back together, and say a few more, and then happen again. And this is where it comes full circle. Guess who was sort of running the thing, other than the priest? My my uncle, that had never spoke to me since Father Christmas.
0: Ah,
1: oh, true. So yeah. he 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 walks up, and, and so he has spoken to me once. He said to me, "Do you want me to take over?" Like quietly, and I said, "No." this is my role I need to do this mm-hmm. and anyway so there was just just as much tears and and I mean really stopping to finish it and then then I had to do the message from my dad had written to his father and I got it out but it was just, it was the same if not more like the feelings that I went through in that 10 or 15 minutes were just unbelievable, but mm. so healing.
0: Mm. Oh, mate, no doubt. It's bloody incredible. You know, geez. Because I wasn't going,
1: Yeah, you know, I was no way I was going to let, everyone knew in, in the town, like there was thousands there, people outside, there was, everybody knew what he had done. But I wanted to emphasise how much he had done for everybody and how much of an impact he'd had on my life. Mm. And I was not going to let that moment be uh, not stated and not set out.
0: Mm. Yeah, so um, crazy, man. Crazy. You know, geez. Like, isn't it amazing, like some, uh, some incredible people uh, that I've had in my life came, came up for me while you were talking then and going to their funerals and, and seeing how many people were there and the impact that that, that, that actually had or they had on, 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 on them and the town and all those sorts of things. But, but yeah, you're right. The people that I know and love and respected, uh, like my auntie Ag and uh, people like that, they, they were just the same all the time saying though their the whole life was it's like their hearts were open you know uh whereas you had um you know you had uh, blows to the heart young and your dad's had some significant blows to the heart but you, like your grandfather's heart was open and and that just uh, radiated out into uh, the community into to what he was doing you know he didn't have to think twice about some of those uh things that he used to do for other people it just happened naturally and I believe that's how we're meant to be operating as humans. You know, we're actually meant to be doing things to support and acknowledge and uh, cherish, e- cherish each other, you know, but we've just been brought into this world of programming, as you said, or as we discussed, that takes us out of that alignment and that's how they can get control of us, you know, by, by, put, by putting us into fear and uh, shame, make made feel shameful and guilty and all those sorts of things, and uh, which is taking a human away from... The way we're naturally meant to be, and if if you can show another human those those attributes, then it usually reflects back at you.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, everything's mirrored, mm. um, it, it, and it's a hundred percent that we're, we're love. And what are we here for? To so remove this is this is breaking it down to just a few words. We're, we're love. We're born love. We can all see that in other in children and babies and how they play, how they interact, Mm. in the majority of cases. (laughs) um, (laughs) Here is what, in a broken down short form words, we're here to remember that we are love. Mm. Now, the the quickest way of doing that with things going on in your life, just because of the way things are set up to distract us, to control us, manipulate us, is by even if you have to fool yourself, try and do your best to be loving and focusing on other people, doing things for others. Mm. You can start at just small things, but the more that you distract yourself. By doing things for people uh, that are loving, that will automatically come back from them or others, and it will come back from yourself to start being that way towards yourself. Mm. And that is how you break the pattern. Mm. Mm. But remembering the the best way energetically is remembering that you are love. It's not out there; it's in you. No matter what's gone on in between from when you were young or when you are young, it's still there. It's, it's just hidden below all these layers of scrub and bush and leaves and things that have fallen down, Yeah. Yes, yep. So, like, people talk about the onion and breaking it down. Inside the middle of the onion or the orange, in the core there, the essence of you and everybody, equally everybody, is love. And to connect with it, you simply have to remember that that's who you are. Hmm. Oh, mate. And then connect with with your essence and then express from that in your thoughts and your actions and behaviours. If you can do it with yourself straight off the bat, fantastic. It only has to be in the smallest of ways. End of the night, before you go to bed, just acknowledge how awesome you are, how, how loving you are, and as I say, it, it can be just—you don't even have to even feel it, believe it. Like, just do something.
0: Mm. Do you know what, mate? Like, so so is, yeah. isn't it hard for a man to do that? Like, like we've well, just as you said. Like, I, I remember, like personally, like coming through as a young boy and just um, having that sort of, you know, smacked out of me. Um, you know, not not so much literally, but just through the education system, like being kind and compassionate and, and nice and that and, and school really hardens you and toughens you up and uh maybe that's not a good thing it, maybe it is uh, to survive in this environment that we've, we've actually created but at the same time it doesn't matter we're you're, you're dead right we're all the same when it comes to that and um you know we've got to constantly remind ourselves that's what it is you know we're not we're not now look at what the church um, teaches. Like this little baby is a sinner, and, and all these sorts of things. You're like, how crazy yeah. is that? Like, how crazy could you be coming into this world like uh, uh, with a with a with a label of something? You know, uh, because it's so much beyond that. And um, yeah, I remember going through school and just always coming back to that that sense of feeling of love and and that within myself, but. Eventually, you, you you give in and you just got to play the bloody game. And um, uh, we're going to come back to that at the end of our lives. You know, no matter what, all of us. But I suppose the the quicker we can actually start to reach that now, uh, then the more fulfilled our lives would be. Uh, our, our lives will be.
1: there! Oh, I, I definitely <laughs> I definitely had my crazy periods doing things like. <laughs> I I told you how to wear and laugh the other day. Yeah, uh, like my dad was a, a, a rebel in many ways. So James, teammate, my dad had so many occasions where he he was going out with two girls, and this is like back in days where it wasn't really done. Mm. Just like he went back to he went back to work in the seventies. he was terrible at, through school and and before he met mum and. I, He had had two girlfriends in different towns. He'd had three girlfriends at the same time. Mm. And I was saying to you, like, you know, I don't know if it's genetics or just because I didn't know that until mum told me about it. And we were having, because mum was fantastic. Totally different. Like, you could talk to mum about everything, like anything. Mm. Like, on my 15th birthday, like, my mum went, in those days, you could buy, like, a crate of beer. Remember that? Crate, crates of beer. Yeah. So they'd have tallies, yeah, and you get 12 in a wooden crate. And she said, what do you want to do for your 15th birthday? And I said, I'm just going to have five or six of my best mates around. Would you be able to to go and get us a couple of crates of beer? (laughs) Now, my mum was – a, both my parents were – and this is talking just briefly about religion, which is not good, but they were – I was brought up, they were Catholics – their parents were Catholics, and, went, you know, were on the treasury and did flower arrangements for the church and all that sort of stuff. I went to a Catholic boys' school. But, mate, I was a rebel because uh, at the age of – a lot of things happened around the age of seven, and it's interesting because seven's been a number that I've really associated with in my life right through till today. Mm, mm. When I was seven, we in the Catholic church, so that you get – Christian, baptized, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. Then you do a thing called a first holy communion, and the boys and girls do it together. And you get dressed up in like nice shorts and a white shirt, and a, you know all this stuff. The girls wear a veil and all this stuff. And it, it, it's a, it's the ceremony so that the communion and the host that the priest hands out and puts it in the you, know, you, you know on your tongue and you, you eat it type thing. The body of Christ mm. and the wine, that sort of thing. So we haven't all these extra classes and things. for primary school, I didn't go to a Catholic school. I was having to go out for two hours and, you know, go and learn about this and that and Noah and all the rest of it, and all these stories. And I just said to Mum and Dad, I said, I'll do this First Holy Communion, but that's it. I'm not going to church ever again after that because we went as a family. You get to laugh because I'll tell you, when I, when I say something, I always follow through on it. And um, so there was, in a way, a little bit of stubbornness to do that, but it was stubbornness from a point of view of love and doing only what I could in life. Um, and Dad was right when building the walls and that sort of stuff, go, go and play with your friends, you're fucking good at that. <laughs> Why? Because I used to, weekends from dawn to dusk, man, I was gone playing sport, this, that, the other. Where we'd go and, go and play tenpin bowling and we'd go and do this and we'd go climb a bloody mil- a hill, like a mountain type thing. You know, like, I was gone. Ch- chasing frogs and bloody tadpaling and just everything. <laughs> and um, and so I was very free and relaxed and just, you know, whether it was by myself with my dog or with, with 10 of my mates, like, I was just equally as happily. Uh, so I love people, but I also love you know, my own space and time doing things myself, I'm equally comfortable. And, um, yeah, so I, I told him, I said, this stuff is a load of bullshit. I said, I'm, and that's just sort of summarising it. I said, I'm not going, I'll do this First Holy Communion and that's it, I'm done. I'm not going, I'm not wasting two or three hours every Sunday going to church. Yeah, it's meaningless. I'm <laughs> Like, this is contextualization of, me using words at my age now i just said i'm not going on i don't believe in it and i don't want to waste my time doing it i've got better things to do Mm. so i didn't they'd come around a few weeks later okay we're going now get ready i said no i told you i've done the first holy communion i've done the clip that i said and i've told you what is happening and so they started a bit of a protest but i didn't go then the next time was Bit of a protest, but not quite so much. And within about two or three months, the whole family stopped going.
0: <laughs> Jeez, fair good. They actually so yeah. saw the bullshit as well.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But you know, when I said it, I was doing it what I needed to do for me. Now that then had repercussions, which I didn't bother me or not. Mm. But fantastic that it did. But yeah. The fundamentals of life and the sooner people can see through the illusion that is created from family, friends, friends of friends, school systems, control systems that are set up by the elite and that sort of thing to control and manipulate life and keep putting more and more distractions to keep you, what are they doing? They're trying to keep you from seeing who you really are connecting back to who you really are.
0: Yes, yep.
1: And this whole new 90s and computers and all this stuff they're doing and all this Instagram and all the social media stuff and everything else, it's all designed to keep people stuck in being who they aren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all any person needs to do is recognize Just contemplate. Have a look. Listen to what we're talking about. Have a look out there and you'll see the hundreds and hundreds of systems I've got set up from young to change you from who you really are. Mm. Mm. See it for what it is. See it. Have a think about it. So contemplation. Think about it and then feel into it. The feeling into it will naturally start you on a path energetically of bringing you back to who you are Mm. You don't even need to read 50,000 books. You don't have to even go to courses. You don't need to It's as simple as recognizing that that's not who you are Mm. Mm. Okay, your your love so we call that white your love everything else out there Is a distraction? It's black. It's to keep you from remembering that you're white And I don't mean in terms of race or color. Yes, um, the sooner you can do that, you can then have a life that is just unbelievable.
0: Mm, that where means, you can live. Go
1: ahead. Yeah, I was going to say where, where you can live every moment. And yeah, there's fine tuning as you're going along that process. But you, you very quickly, if you put a little bit of work into what we're just talking about, I'm just saying, very quickly, your every moment of every day is just joy and interacting from love and it's just like my granddad it's just you're open your hearts open and everything is just fun and enjoyable and um easy
0: Mm. mate that 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 is beautifully well said and and you did right star wars taught us a lot didn't it the light and the dark um, yeah. Certainly, and that, that's 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 played out throughout history with regards to, to that. And you're right. You know, we are born with this lightness, uh, all of us. And I've seen some amazing results with, with guys I've I've worked with that have been in the dark, but I've been able to bring them out and show them what what the light actually is. And um, it's it's pretty simple, but it's so, and how, it's how so it
1: s- feels, Aaron. How it feels.
0: Yeah, that's right. Oh, incredible. Man, um, uh, go ahead. You
1: don't need alcohol, or drugs, or anything like like. <laughs> not that I've had them, but like,
0: yeah.
1: The, the feeling is just alive, vibrant, um, because it's free energy.
0: Mm, that's true.
1: Um, and um, it's it. You know, it's oh, the the, <coughs> the difference. Like, it's like it's the old expression. Like it's like light and day.
0: Yes, yeah, so
1: oh, sorry. Yeah. Day and night.
0: Day and night. <laughs> yeah. Well, you look at uh, you look at the Tao and what the Tao teaches, mate. It's, it's all about the, yep. the, the polar opposites and things like that, you know. Uh, and yeah, if you're living too much in the one, then yeah, you're going to be out of balance, physically, mentally, whatever it actually is. And the way science has complicated things these days, but it's actually given us given us um, the ability to get distracted away from the truth, you know. <laughs> We're, we're always yeah. searching to try and attach to something, uh, which is going to give us a reason. But the reasons are fundamentally always there, you know. And that to get back to that that space of um, of finding love, which you know, I even I I, I find hard to do. I always criticise myself. You know, even in meditation, even when I'm working out in the morning, where I should be enjoying it, I'm always like, I could be better. I could be faster. I could be you know stiller. I could be um, I could be uh, you know more more. Um, present all those sorts of things you know there's always this judgment thing going on and, and that's that's only a small part of your brain that judgment there is uh is there to to protect us but really it's getting overutilized. And, and i think the education system's actually like um really highlighted that where we're actually attached to that rather than actually using it as a tool that's um hardly used because we're so content with our, our being that we don't need to be judging or judging anyone else
1: yeah so if I, I, I'll i just touch on what I call um, there's three key inputs or components to create in, love in your life, to come back and remember that you love already, you don't need to go searching for it you don't need to do anything to define to, to it, it's naturally there and that comes down to breathing correctly mm. movement exercise, movement, and feelings, feeling, choosing to feel. So the world's got this thing which is not about choosing. They have a thing about decisions. Have we got a minute to talk about decisions? So energetically, I'll give you a quick analogy. So the world uses the word decide decisions and It's used all the time people use it in their language all the time Mm. But what they don't teach you is that Decisions or making decisions comes from decide So it comes from the root word Latin called side CIDE. So it's not the DE forget that it's the CIDE so side is the complete opposite of making a choice. Making a choice about something is love. Making a decision is fear, the black, the dead, devil, all that sort of stuff. Mm, so if you bring side, the root word side in Latin means to kill. Mm. So you just think homicide, right? Yes. Killing. Herbicide, pesticide, pesticide, yes. homicide, pesticide, infanticide, etc. Mm. They are things that kill. That's why they've got side in them. Mm. And the analogy is simply this we want to make choices in life because choices are freeing, because choices are love, by being loving. So if I said to you, Aaron, if I said, simple analogy, Okay, so, Aaron, um, so we're at the ice cream shop. What flavour of ice cream do you want? You want vanilla, strawberry, or chocolate? (laughs) Right. And then if I say to you, you go go to me, chocolate, and if I then say, why did you go with, I won't use the word choice because I'm not, yeah, "Why why did you go with chocolate, Aaron? And you, if you've done it from a decision, you'll say, well, I had I had strawberry last week and I, it made me feel a bit sick. The last time I had ice cream before that, I had vanilla and I tend to go with vanilla. So I thought I'd be a bit different and have chocolate. Okay, you've given me a story. Okay, because decisions, what you're doing is you're killing off things. So let's bring in a house. You're looking at five houses to buy. You sit down there with your partner or whatever or your friend you might be going in house with or whatever and you go well this one had a bigger backyard this one had that oh, uh, da, da, da. this one had a pool so you, you, you're killing off this house this house this house this house this house and you come up with this house mm. so you've made a decision oh uh, well, good on you but it's not love <laughs> mm, mm. because you can any time you can give reasoning To support something or if someone asks you a question of why you know automatically you've made a decision because you've killed off options to come to one with choosing i say to you aaron why did you buy that house or go for that house out of seven you looked at why did you go chocolate you just say to me because i chose chocolate Hmm. no story required because it's love yes there's a lot in that yeah, to yeah. contemplate.
0: Yeah, agree, mate. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's. We want to be love by making choices, starting with yourself, mm. to remember that you are love, mm. and then to express from that. Um, mm. So, and um, for people that you know, we've all been through traumas. <laughs> Everyone. To grow and develop, one, it's fast if you go to understanding that you love and remembering your love. But we've all had traumas in our life at different levels, and some people can deal with bigger traumas and some people can't cope with other traumas. Um, but the thing with trauma to remember, and this is the the well, from studies and psychiatry and all the rest of it, and trauma specialists in the world is... Trauma isn't, it's not what happened. It wasn't, it's not that car crash. It's not how your father treated you. These things are traumatic, but that's not the trauma. Mm -hmm. The trauma that you need to work through is the story that you create about what happened. Mm -hmm. It's not the rape. It's not that your father beat you up. It's not that um, a girl that you loved very much, and were in a relationship with, or married, or whatever, cheated on you. That's the event. Mm. The car accident's the event. Being raped by by a, a priest is a, an event. The traumatic, the trauma of that event is the story that you build up and create in your mind about it. Yes. Yeah. And that's what needs to be healed not yes. the event itself. Yes. It's it's the story that you've created around it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's true. I um, absolutely agree. You go into a shop and the story gets created from there and all of a sudden you, you 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 you're stuck. You're stuck in that story, aren't you? You know, to be able to have compassion for the event and why the event happened kills it straight away. So, you know, the person that's done the wrong thing to have compassion for them you're putting the fire out, but as soon as you get stuck in the story, then all of a sudden that can stay with you for the rest of your life and you'll never, never leave. It'll never leave you. You know, it's such an interesting, right. interesting one. But we're, we're running out of time, so better, no, better okay. go. we're going to have to do another one because uh, we never really touched on, um, you know, strength and conditioning or fitness or anything like that either. So, um, you know, this, this, and, this is a profound conversation about about the important things in life you know all the other stuff superficial but if we can get back to the important thing of uh loving ourselves and loving uh other people and the lessons that have been learned from your grandfather and, and yourself and and you know hopefully this gets um this gets shared far and wide this podcast because the more people can listen to this they'll actually start to realize that within themselves
1: yeah no for 100 percent. i'm you know as i said I've got plenty of other stuff, <laughs> and then the, 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 obviously the sport stuff, and and what's going on there. I mean, same things going on there. Sport is sport at an elite level is a distraction. Mm,
0: that's right. Uh, yes.
1: Yeah. 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 And um, there's pe- that a lot. Of, I've worked with a lot of international level athletes and the national teams and all that sort of thing, and the same things going on there is what my dad did.
0: Yes. So yeah, you're dead right. <laughs> yeah, dead right. Absolutely, mate. Yeah. Yeah, you, okay, so, you get, yeah, get to the end so, of the line, you're cooked, and uh, then you lose your identity, and uh, and then you go up and down like a yo-yo for the rest of your life.
1: That's right. It's, 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 it ruins your life, mm-hmm. and ruins other people's lives that are, that are close to you or attached to you in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, yeah, no, I'd love to come back any time and um, chat more.
0: Sure, Will. Now, if anyone wants to get hold of you, they can reach out to me, and I can put them in touch with you. But you're on LinkedIn, Paul Barry? There's probably
1: plenty of Paul yep. Barrys on there, but uh, they'll find you. Yep. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I, I, in Australia, I usually come up pretty much at the top there. Yeah. Um, if they don't, if they're not on LinkedIn, and they want to know more about me, they can just Google. Mm-hmm. Um. Just the swimming part. So if they Google Paul Barry, elite swimming coach, mm-hmm. that will bring up first six results that come up out of four billion or four trillion or whatever, <laughs> they're all me. And the very first one that comes up, if you Google Paul Barry high-performance swimming, the very first one that comes up is, they click on that, that's straight to my LinkedIn profile. Perfect, mate. Which is really extensive.
0: Good work, mate. This is about time out, so really, really appreciate the chat. Very, very deep, powerful conversation. We're going to have many more, so... Uh, hopefully the listeners enjoyed this and um, yeah mate so grateful for the conversation so uh, so important and powerful so I hope a lot of people uh, get a chance to listen to this one
1: yeah that would be great and um, obviously always great, and gratitude for the opportunity to um, communicate with you Aaron like always enjoy love talking with you and um, and to whoever's listening you know namaste <laughs> uh, be strong and uh, yeah remember who you are we can all do it